So the title of this morning's message is Walking with God Through Dark Days. A recent news headline uh, claimed that the UK, UK government is planning for dark days ahead when gas shortages could lead to organised blackouts uh, for households and industry. Whether that will happen remains to be seen. Now, we may well be able to imagine such a situation, but we would have to experience it ourselves to know what it would really be like. We may think we know what darkness is until we're in a really dark place. Take, for example, something that happened to a young girl called Mary Davis. Mary was six years old when she began working in a coal mine in Merthyr in the 1840s. <clears throat> now, for a child going underground at that age for the first time, the mine was a very scary place indeed. And one day, the oil in Mary's lamp went out. She couldn't see her hand in front of her face, there was no one nearby that she could call for help. And she spent hours terrified, um, wandering around, lost in complete and utter darkness. But thankfully, Mary was eventually found by a mines inspector. So darkness can be a terrible thing, can't it? And in the Bible, darkness is often used to symbolize everything that is opposed to God. And in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, uh, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Ephesus that he and they, and indeed all Christians, are wrestling against this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, there's also a darkness that we fear to mention, an unspeakable darkness. And in several places in Mar Matthew's Gospel, the Lord Jesus describes the future of those who die without trusting in him as being in outer darkness, a total separation from God, the source of all light and life. But here in Isaiah chapter 50, the prophet is talking about another kind of darkness altogether. And in a moment, we'll see what that is. But first, we need to just look at the context. For some centuries now, <clears throat> some Christians have referred to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel. And it's a really suitable description because... The New Testament's use of the word gospel is based on the way Isaiah uses it himself. And against the background of God's judgment, Isaiah proclaims good news. Just take, for example, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Get you up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem, herald of good news. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So what is this good news? 
Well, things weren't looking too good for Judah and Jerusalem. They deserved God's righteous judgments because of their sin and their idolatry. And God had sent them away into exile into Babylon. And yet, God's people are not to think that he's um, forsaken them, that he's cast them off forever. No. God, a day will come when God will come to them in person. Himself, as their king, he's going to bring deliverance. He's going to bring peace to all who will trust him. <clears throat> and at the heart of this good news, this gospel, is a person called the servant of the Lord. God's servant. He's the one who's going to save people from their sins. This was the good news then. And it's still the good news today. This is the one who even this very day can save from their sins all who acknowledge that they are rebels and that they've broken God's laws as they're found in the Bible. In other words, people just like you and me. And he can do this because he's paid the penalty that God's law demands. So who is this servant king? He's no less a person than the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah, we find four songs about him. And the third of these four songs is found in verses 4 to 9 of this chapter that's before us. Now let's turn to our text for this morning as we find it in verse 10. <clears throat> I hope my voice lasts out. And I'm going to ask three simple questions about this verse. Who, how, and what? So here's my first question. Who is the prophet talking about in verse 10? And the answer is God's people, believers, Christians no less. <clears throat> and this is much clearer in the authorized version and the New American Standard Version than it is in other Bible verses. Who is among you that fears the Lord <clears throat> that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So the four things that Isaiah um, says about the believers he's addressing are these. They fear the Lord, they obey the voice of his servant, they walk in darkness and have no light. Now before we try to understand how can a child of God be walking in darkness? Let's look a bit more closely at something else that the prophet says about the people of God. They fear the Lord and they obey the voice of his servant. These are things that should always characterize the life of Christians. <clears throat> Being a Christian doesn't mean that you subscribe to certain doctrines it doesn't mean that you accept your church's confession of faith or that you belong to a Bible-believing church, although it should include those things. Because Isaiah knows that not all um, those who belong to Israel are real believers. It wasn't enough for you to be circumcised. It wasn't enough for you to belong to a Jewish family with all the privileges that, it, that involved. What makes a person a Christian is not 
being brought up in a Christian home, not being baptized, important though that is. It's not even being a church member, important though that is, as we've seen. Being a Christian means, among other things, fearing the Lord and obeying the voice of his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does fearing the Lord mean? And the phrase occurs from Genesis to a revelation about a hundred times. To fear the Lord means to have right views of his character. Now some churchgoers can't think of any reason why they should be afraid of God. They've been told that God is loving, gracious, merciful, and so he is. And we're eternally thankful for that. <clears throat> but the scriptures never create a divide between those aspects of God's character and the more intimidating um, and breathtaking characteristics of his holiness, his majesty, um, his wrath and his immensity. And sadly, many have lost sight of these things and so have lost the experience of the fear of God. Now, in 1949, <clears throat> church leaders on the island of Lewis in Scotland had become concerned about the state of their churches. They were <clears throat> especially concerned about the growing indifference to spiritual things among the young people. And so their leaders decided to issue a proclamation calling on every individual church member to call on God to search their own lives, to repent of all known sin and to call on God to visit his people again. I'm sure one, one of, uh, some of you will know that one outcome of this call was that an evangelist called Duncan Campbell was invited to come to the island and to preach the gospel. So when Duncan Campbell actually stepped off the ferry, he was met by the minister of the church who'd invited him and by an elder. And as he came off the ferry, the elder said to him, Mr. Campbell, are you walking with God? Can you imagine somebody asking you that question? Are you walking with God? Well, this is how Dick Duncan Campbell responded. I can say this at least, he said. I fear God. Now, the word fear can convey different meanings according to the context. It can be an unpleasant feeling <clears throat> caused by danger or something bad. Uh, that's what a, a slave feels in the, in the presence of a, a master who's an abusive tyrant. It's that, that kind of fear is a slavish fear. That's not the kind of fear that we have here in Isaiah 50. The fear that Isaiah is talking about is a reverent fear that a son or daughter has for a really good father. It's, it's a kind of fear where there's more love than fright. It's a fear where we see everything in the light of the glory and the holiness of God. It's a fear where we're drawn to him when we're not driven away. A fear where we show respect to his person, uh, where we, we really know who he is and who we are. And yet, in spite of that, we're drawn to him. Now, Psalm 128 and verse 1 says this, and note particularly the first word. Blessed, blessed 
are all who fear the Lord. There's a blessing. There's a happiness in this kind of fear. And so Isaiah's question comes down to us today, doesn't it? Who among you fears the Lord? Do you have that kind of reverent fear before the God of the Bible? The true Christian then fears the Lord. But secondly, and very briefly indeed, being a Christian means as well obeying the voice of his servant. The two things belong together. To fear the Lord, says Job in his book, is to depart from evil. How does anyone show that he or she fears the Lord? By listening to the voice of his servant. Who is this servant? The Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep, says Jesus, listen to my voice. And of course, none of us obey him perfectly while we're here on earth. But the Christian's sincere desire is to hear the voice of Jesus and to follow him wherever he leads. So we've looked at the first question, who? And now we're going to come to the heart of this verse and ask the second question, which is how? Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant and walks in darkness and has no light? How can that be? Didn't the Apostle John say in his first letter, if we claim to have fellowship with him, with God that is, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John is talking there about the darkness of sin. And the word walk refers to the way that we behave, the way we live our lives. And those who walk in the darkness of sin who break God's commandments but still claim to be in the light are actually redefining sin. They're minimizing it. They're excusing it. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, the Bible says you are walking in that kind of darkness. You need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. But Isaiah is talking about another kind of darkness altogether, not the darkness of sin, because he's addressing those who fear the Lord and obey the voice of his servant. He's talking about the darkness of doubt, of depression, of anxiety, of pain, and Christians are not immune from such a condition. And the Jews in Babylon felt no assurance at all that they really were God's people. Had God abandoned them? Were they still God's covenant people? That was their anxiety in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14, where we read their own words. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And Christians can sometimes find themselves in a dark place. They can come to a point where they doubt whether they were even born again. And we've seen some of that darkness of depression and pain and anxiety uh, during the pandemic, haven't we? With all the lockdown and, uh, and isolation from friends and family members. And as believers, we do have justifiable concerns and anxieties. 
but we shouldn't be unduly anxious. Our Savior himself told us not to worry. It's not something that those who fear God and obey the voice of his servant should be doing. And yet, and yet, we do find ourselves worrying, don't we? We find ourselves in a dark place and we think it's always going to be dark. Now, the Puritan Thomas um, Manton, in one of his sermons, uh, shows how the way that we look at our circumstances can affect us. Things can look better or worse depending on how we look at them. We have to distinguish between a part of God's work and the whole of it. And to show you uh, what he means, he uses a little illustration. He says, imagine yourselves going into an old-fashioned watchmaker's shop. Uh, my stepmother used to work in such a shop. And on the watchmaker's bench, you see the many small parts of a mechanical watch. You, you see the springs, the gaskets, the gears, the escapement, the balance wheel, and a multitude of other bits and pieces. And as you look at them, says Manton, you, as an unskilled person, might well conclude that the watch had been pulled apart and it had been ruined. But the watchmaker knows that, that the dismantled state of this watch is part of the process of repairing it and making it work better. That's why the watch had to be taken apart. And our problem is that we're looking at the bits and pieces. We're, we're looking at just a part of our Christian experience. We're not seeing the divine master um, and, uh, at, at his work and his good and his gracious purpose, which lies behind it all. So how should we respond then? when in the providence of God we find ourselves walking in that kind of darkness that I've described. And this brings us to our last point. We've looked at who Isaiah is talking about and how a Christian may at times walk in darkness. And lastly, we'll look at what believers must do when they find themselves walking in that kind of darkness. If you are in the this um, darkness, a trial and anxiety, you must do two things, says Isaiah. Who is among you that fears the Lord, who obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. The first thing I must do is to have faith in all that God has revealed about himself in the Bible, to, to, to believe the promises that he's given me there. That's what trust means, having faith in God, having faith in his word. So if I'm in darkness and I feel that somehow God has forsaken me, I must not forsake him. My circumstances may change, but his word never changes. So after coming again to trust in the Lord, then I must secondly rely on or literally lean on my God. 
You remember Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. I must put my whole weight on him. There's something glorious about this text because when you think about it, you can't lean on someone who's far away. You can only lean on someone who's right by your side. And if God is by your side in the darkness, this darkness is no night to him. He knows his way through the darkness you're going through. And his strength is enough to carry all the burdens that I can lay upon him. And he invites me, weary and heavy laden as I am, to come to him, to cast my burden upon him. Because having carried the weight of all my sins, all that way to the cross of Calvary, well, he's well able to carry all the darkness and affliction in my life through the valley and over and out to the other side. Notice too that the believer is walking through this darkness. He's not sitting in it. No, he's on a pilgrimage through it. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. So now if I'm walking through dark days, maybe all I can do is trust in the Lord and lean upon my God. But this, this darkness is only part of my Christian experience until I reach the other side. And there I find that all is light. As the Apostle John said about the holy city in the book of Revelation, there will be no more night, for the Lord will give them light. So in closing then, let me first of all ask you, are you a Christian? Do you fear God with the respect of a child who knows him as a loving father? Is your heart in tune with the word of God so that you're listening to the voice of his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ? Does that define where you are now? But secondly, can it be that you are walking through the darkness of doubts, of depression or anxiety? I hope you're not. I hope you know something of uh, joy unspeakable and full of glory that the Apostle Peter talks about in his first letter and that you know what God's will is for your life. But perhaps that's not the case. Are you walking in darkness today? If so, lean upon your God. Believe his promises. God, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, has been through the darkness of pain and anguish long before you. The Lord Jesus is the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He hasn't been through Calvary for nothing for you. Oh no, as the hymn writer says, he knows the way he taketh. And by his grace, I, even I, will walk with him.